Hello, Arthur. Welcome to Jude's List. Welcome to the podcast. How are you doing today? Uh, thanks, Jude. I'm doing very well. Thank you. Yeah. For our listeners who don't know who you are, can you tell us a bit about yourself, what you do? Okay. My name is Arthur Timothy. I'm an architect who has uh, turned to painting. So I've been painting for a couple of years now, in addition to my architectural practice. Okay. So obviously that means you have a love for drawing, right? What's the connection between architecture and your current work? I think it's what you said, actually. I think it's uh, drawing initially. Um, I always loved drawing since I was a little boy. When I was at school and I was um, doing my A-levels, I had a conversation with my father because at that time I was interested in art and I was also interested in architecture. And um, I discussed, discussed this with my father and he felt that architecture would be a better, a more stable profession to go into than art. So that really, that, that made the decision for me, really. Um, so I went into architecture. I found the course was actually, I mean, very, very interesting. And I, I love architecture, but when you are actually practicing as an architect, uh, particularly practicing in the UK, there are kind of limitations in how you can be expressive. And so I think I found that that used to irritate me a little bit. When I was doing my artwork, it, it was just very easy to communicate what I wanted to do. I had no one else to answer to. Just I could just try and communicate my own ideas uh, without these obstructions uh, that uh, I experienced with architecture. So uh, what happened is that I, um, I always painted and did drawings in my spare time. And uh, my family, I think, were very aware of the fact that um, I, I carried this frustration with me because sometimes we would go to uh, art exhibitions and, um, you know, I, I think they sensed it. Uh, so eventually my second son, Duval, said to me that I should just start painting again seriously and um one christmas he made he stretched a canvas for me and gave it to me as a christmas present okay and uh, how long yeah. ago was this uh this was about um three years ago wow yeah <laughs> wow so Based on what I've seen, I almost can't believe it for myself that that was three years ago. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. Yeah, I mean, the, the funny thing was that I put it on an easel in my office. I had this uh, problem because I used to pass the black, blank canvas yeah. and think that, well, I've got to actually do something because it's a gift from my son. And so it was there for about uh, three months before I actually eventually started on a painting. And uh, when I did, I then, you know, it, it actually started to go smoothly. And I then I did another painting. Well, why did you wait three months? I think I was in a bit of a quandary because I felt that I had been put on the spot and I had to kind of... Um, Deliver. Put up or shut up, you know what I mean? Yeah. <laughs> so... <laughs> That was why I think I, I hesitated. How, how old is your son? 30. Yeah, he's, uh, he's, he's, he's a big man, you know. <laughs> wow. Wow. So that incident basically started off your current journey right now. 
Yes, it did. Okay. Okay, so let's talk a bit more about um, your process and then your style as well, right? Your style is quite unique. It's very different. I, I can't even explain it to our audience, but I, I'll try the best as I can with you with your help. Yeah, if you can peel back and then walk me through your process and then your style as well. Okay. Uh, for the most part, I've, I've worked with... Um, images from old photographs photographs of of my family um my my late father um uh, left a lot of these old photographs and papers in uh, a couple of trunks which we went through and the photographs were of his time in ghana he was uh, the editor of a newspaper a local paper called the daily graphic in okay. the yeah, in the 1950s, prior to Ghana gaining independence. So um, it was very evident that there was a lot going on. I was kind of captivated by, by that period, uh, as expressed in the photographs, the people um, and the politics. Yeah. So I, I wanted to explore that further because I, I knew that at that time, Ghana was really at the forefront of independence movements for Africa, throwing back the colonial yoke. Because after the war, I think Ghana or Africa found itself center stage um, in a way that it had never been before. So this period was really very exciting to me. So I started to look at transposing these images um, into much larger uh, paintings and it's a very interesting process because when you enlarge, there were small black and white photographs. And sometimes when you enlarge and start doing a painting, it goes in a, a sort of different direction because sometimes you find that you are, in a way, you can experience what was going on. It's as if you are sometimes almost in a room with the characters in these small photographs in a way that you never um, expected. Yeah. Also, your details, you obviously add to these images. Obviously, that's your own interpretation. And then your backgrounds as well. So if you can speak to that as well. Yes, the details I do play around with because obviously I'm working from black and white photographs. So I'm using color. Uh, so I do uh, play around with that in, in some way. And also sometimes the background. Um, to me, sometimes the... The images um, have a certain, they, they resonate in a certain way. And so I tend to follow my instincts and interpret them in, in, in that way. When you say you follow your instinct, can you expand a bit on that? What's the main idea you want your viewers to get when they look at these images? That's a good question. I think that I want people to feel a sense of pride um, because I think that a lot was achieved during that period that um, perhaps is not widely known, is not acknowledged uh, or, or widely known. Um, and I want to sort of communicate that in, in, um, in, in some way. For instance, with Ghana's independence, um, yeah. I know that uh, Nkrumah, although he became 
you know, very, um, uh, very much an authoritarian. Um, but I know that for the independence celebrations that uh, he invited Martin Luther King and his wife and other American dignitaries to the independence ceremony. And I was aware that um, when the British flag was pulled down and the Ghanaian flag was raised, that Martin Luther King wept when he saw this. And um, when he went back to America, he, he gave a sermon at his local church and he, he mentioned this. And um, Ghana's independence actually contributed to spurring him on in his work with civil rights. Now, I'm sure that a lot of people are not actually aware of this. Yeah, I wasn't aware of this connection. Yeah, and it's a major, you know, it's a, it's a big deal. <laughs> yeah, yeah. How did you uncover this? I uncovered it by actually just reading around the, the subject at the time of what was going on, and um, I was fascinated by it. Um, I was fascinated by also a lot of the Americans who visited Ghana, wanted to live in Ghana, who, um, when they arrived, were amazed to find a country that was independent. The people were, you know, well-read and um, in positions of authority. And I think they, they, they felt this, this sense of homecoming. So in the 60s, early 60s, you had people like Maya Angelou, um, I think uh, Malcolm X, various other people that visited. So it, it, I think it was a very heady time to be in Ghana. Yeah, yeah. But it also shows the sense of pride, knowing how Nkrumah played a role for the lives of these visionaries, you know, and how he also made that possible in yes. whatever way in, with their work as well, right? Yeah. So I want to circle back to you. If you can talk more about the role your dad played in your life, right? And how his work influenced your work now? My dad's role in my life was, was very strong. I mean, he was, he was one of these old school characters. He was brought up by my grandmother. So my father was brought up as an only child. Um, my grandmother... Uh, struggled to educate him. My grandmother ran a, a bakery in Freetown. Anyway, she educated him and she sent him to study in London. Um, originally, he came over to study dentistry, but he loved journalism and he switched courses to study journalism. That, that's a huge did, jump. It's a huge jump, yeah. <laughs> and what he did is that um, because the sacrifices my grandmother had made, he, he didn't tell her for a long time. Wow. Um, and it was only when, um, I think, yeah, I understood that he was the first um, black man to work on the permanent staff of a British newspaper. So it was only when he was doing that that he told my grandmother. And um, then I think she was very happy. But um, I, I was fascinated at uh, how he, he did that. Um, uh, he was a very interesting character, very principled, um, very outspoken um, he always felt it was important to communicate um, his beliefs and um, his integrity was of the utmost importance. So when he was in Ghana and he saw some of the excesses of Nkrumah, he, he felt he had to speak out um, 
And so he wrote contentious articles um, and eventually Nkrumah deported him. Wow. So, yeah. <laughs> yeah, he, he, he wrote an article which was, I think the title was, uh, What Next Kwame? Um, <laughs> <laughs> what and, next Kwame? Uh, wow, that's yeah, very bold. <laughs> it was bold, uh, particularly in those days. But but this is what he was like. You know, he always spoke his mind. So he was deported and um, went back to Sierra Leone. And my my mother and my brother and I joined him a while after that. So he worked in Sierra Leone for some time uh, until. I think 1966. No, he he came over slightly earlier than us. He he was approached for a job in London with the um, West African Diamond Corporation, and um, so he came to London earlier. And then we joined him in 1966. Uh, we came on a passenger boat called the MV Oriel. My, my joined boat. him from Sierra Leone. From Sierra Leone, yes. Okay. Um, but I mean, going back to your question, I mean, I, I think. My father's influence it was very much the whole thing of, of the sort of principles and values that he um, stood, stood for. And um, yeah, I think, I think that sort of still resonates in some way. Yeah. Let's talk about your last solo show. You putting that together. Obviously, now I see the influences and the message clearly. <laughs> but can you describe how you put together the concept for our listeners and then what that whole process required of you to put it together? Okay, sure. I um I I put it together in in a way that showed um the sort of personal side which was the family um uh Ghana, and also the political side, as well as life, a life, some elements of our life in Sierra Leone, and then the journey, the voyage to to England. So it was broken up. The exhibition was broken up into sections that dealt with that. You know, in some of them, there um, there was a painting of, for instance, I think as you entered, there was a painting of my grandmother on the left hand side. And my grandmother is the one who, who made the whole thing possible. Um, and on the right-hand side, there was a painting of my father as a journalist. He was actually called the journalist. And there are some other pictures of the family in Sierra Leone. And then I think moving through to the back section, um, there are the pictures that are political to do yeah. with Nkrumah. <laughs> And so on, yes. The Nkrumah pieces are, I really love. They're majestic. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah. It, it, so how did you choose them? I chose them because I, I found them fascinating because in the small photographs that I had, it was evident in some of them what was going on because there's one of um, Nkrumah and his cabinet and um, the picture is called The Delegation. And um, they are being visited by a delegation from the House of Houses of Parliament in London, and um, the contrast was very striking because Nkrumah and his cabinet are in um, traditional dress, 
and um, the um, British parliamentarians are in top hats um, and tails, very formal. And um, it, it, it was it, it was a fascinating picture to do, and um, and I, I, I hope that some sense of that um, duality and awkwardness um, came through because. To me, it felt as if the British, their objective was to really keep um, or to maintain their financial interests in Ghana. It, it felt as if they were prepared to um, do whatever they could to achieve that. So, yeah, it's evident in that piece. I see it clearly. Thank you. <laughs> I see it clearly. So how long did that whole project take to put together? Uh, the whole thing, I was painting for almost a year. Um, <laughs> so it, was a, it was a long time. It was an enjoyable process. Did you start with the show in mind or you were just painting at the time? Actually, I had started, I had started some paintings anyway. Um, but then um, I was approached uh, about having a show in Ghana and um, then so then went on from there, really. I developed the, the other pictures from, from that and um, I, I had a date to, to work to. It was quite interesting because I had to have a, a sort of quite a strict programme to which to work, I had to work to, to get everything done in, in, in time. And to allow for the paintings after they were finished to be shipped to Accra, um, to be framed and then exhibited. So, uh, yeah, it was hard going. Were you still doing your day job? A little bit. I think I'd really, for the most part, um, devoted myself to this. Um, because, I mean, my, my wife and I, uh, we're both architects. Um, I mean, my wife is a qualified landscape architect, but she also does architecture. And we, we work together. So, um, uh, you know, we work on our projects. So, it, it, I mean, it was fine. But I think that whilst I was doing this, um, architecture really took a back seat. Um, th th this was much more enjoyable <laughs> to me. <laughs> that, that's fascinating. I'd want to understand what you wish you knew before you had started three years ago. That's a good question. I think that perhaps I wish I knew more about the artistic world. I mean, by that, I don't mean about art itself, but about how the actual business of art, how, how that works. I felt that I knew very little and um, it, it is only since then that I've begun to understand a bit more about it. Okay. So what have you learned now? <laughs> Well, I've, I think what I've learned is that really you have to follow, really follow your own instincts, actually, and express things that are important to you, you know, rather than trying to uh, appeal to any given, given audience. Um, it, it is really almost your, well, not, not your job, but, it, but it's important to, to, to paint the things that are, that are important to you, that, um, that, mean something to you in some way um, and just to express yourself really in terms of style how long did it take you to develop yours and then is it something that based on what you've done so far you think will change 
Yes, initially I had a an exhibition in London uh, at a gallery uh, in Mayfair, which was called uh, Ronchini Gallery. And the paintings that I did for that exhibition were actually fairly different to the ones I did for Accra, for the Shah in Accra. And there was definitely a progression in my, in my style uh, between those exhibitions. Um, I think that with the show in Accra, I was using quite vibrant washes of colour um, to kind of evoke different moods. And um, I think that going forward, I think that, yes, I think my style will change, um, but perhaps um, more in a subtle way than, uh, you know, being a sudden, sudden change. I, I can see it becoming in parts fairly uh, loose, but then in, in other parts fairly realistic. You know, I don't want to go down the path of this sort of hyper-realism because, yeah, yeah. you know, I, to me that really, <laughs> I think you might as well just use a photograph. Um, yeah. You know. <laughs> so it's something you can do, but it's something you don't want to. Yes, it's something I can do. I don't. I don't want to. I find that you know, just with, with using paint, just being expressive is is far better than sort of being someone who goes for sort of minute details all the time. Because you, you can have you can have a painting that is perfect, but it can leave you completely unmoved. Whereas, yeah. uh, you know what I mean. I wish to avoid that. So Arthur. What would you say you struggle with as an artist? That's a very good question. I think at the moment I struggle sometimes with deciding on the things that I, I wish to communicate. I read a lot and I think a lot about you know what, what I'm doing and um, what I'm trying to do. And it's very interesting because I have discussions with my son Duval because Duval is an artist himself. Well, he he actually he, he studied art and then he. he oh, painted. you should have started with that. Okay. Uh, yeah, I should have said. I should have said. Yeah, but but he's also a musician, and nowadays it's you know he's he's making music more oh. than the art. Yeah, but but um, he he has a very good um, handle on it, and um, so in in these discussions I have with him, he just tells me that um, I, I should just not struggle, but just enjoy myself and do do what i want and um you know have fun oh that's interesting <laughs> <laughs> that's interesting um that's a great piece of advice uh, <laughs> so, do, you, do you feel like sometimes as an artist like do, do you suffer from the imposter syndrome at all and if so how have you beaten it i think initially i think initially yes because uh for me i i've come to this very late in the day you know i i've uh, i have a professional career which i've um pursued pretty much all my life really and it's only in the last uh, few years that um the art uh, my artwork has actually been um done seriously so yes i i would say that i was slightly awed by the art world and how it um, operated um and uh Yes, there was a degree of um, imposter syndrome, but I was reassured by the fact that people genuinely um, liked my work and the sort of feedback that I got and were 
very encouraging. Um, and uh, so, so that, I think, has stood me in, in good stead. And um, so I, I, don't, I no longer worry about that. Um, I, I'm just finding out more about it and um, just, uh, just trying to do it and enjoy it. This applies to most people, even for myself, right? Sometimes you have to pursue a career which is different from your purpose, right? Yeah. Or which is different from your creative endeavors that you want to pursue. So in your own life, yes, that has been clearly distinct. But the question I'm asking is, how did that affect you? I think it affected me uh, in the sense that some of the frustrations I used to experience in architecture while I was working as an architect uh, have all been swept aside with art and painting. I'm, I would say that I feel a lot happier, actually, because I have, uh, I have no, no one to answer to. I have no clients that I'm designing for. Uh, and um, I think, you know, the difference is that to be an architect in, in Europe, you're quite often, if you're lucky, you're designing for big clients. And um, it can be quite frustrating as an architect to design a building and then have elements of it altered or adjusted because of, of cost restrictions or yeah. cost savings and so forth. So it means that the vision that you had of that building um, can be drastically altered. And I, I found that um, frustrating. Limiting. Yeah, limiting. And it's interesting because um, what my wife and I did is that we decided to do our own projects where we acted um, as well as being the architects, we acted as the developers. So we actually acquired the sites and then we designed the buildings. So we were our own clients. And that was incredibly um, liberating. And um, what it meant is that, you know, we could actually focus on achieving the quality that, that we wanted. And, uh, you know, the cost, the cost was not the only factor. Yeah, um, but we were in control, so that was very nice. So it seems that you've always pursued your artistic freedom, and then <laughs> it, it's really more of the medium in which you use now. Yeah, yeah, I guess so. What's the main message you want to leave behind with your work? I would say that one of the themes is that. Um, as Africans, we have a very important story to tell. I think that um, that that is um, has actually been overlooked in the world of art or the in the artistic canon. And um, I think it is uh, fantastic to see the flourishing art sector in, for instance, in 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 Ghana um, and the. Uh, amazing artists who are working in Ghana, who in fact are, well, and, and along the west coast of, of Africa as well, um, yeah. who are, are sort of blazing a trail. So I'm, I'm kind of proud to, to join, even though it's late in the day, uh, uh, and um, just be a part of that, um, of, of that process. Yeah. I, I don't think it's late at all. I think, you know, as artists, you know, based on your body of work, if it's one or a thousand, yeah. 
it really doesn't matter the quantity. It's just how deeply resonates and then creates an impact for what you really want to do. And I feel like with what you've done so far, you've achieved that. It's incredible. Um, The amount of detail that you put in your work, the message behind it. I mean, there's so much that I didn't know just looking at some of your paintings, but obviously now that we're having this conversation, like it, it totally adds up, right? Okay. So I'm looking forward to what's coming. In fact, what's coming next? What do you have in store for us, Arthur? What is coming next is that I've been invited to have um, an exhibition um, in uh, next November in London at um, Gallery 1957. Uh, as you know, I have a, a London gallery. Yeah. So um, I am uh, working towards, towards that exhibition. And recently, I was invited to exhibit work at the 154 Contemporary Art Fair um, in Gallery 1957's um, booth, amongst their other artists. So I would say that the main project I have is preparing for the exhibition in London next year. I'm sure you're very excited about that. Yes, I am. I am. It's um, it's very exciting, actually. Yeah, I hope I get to see it. I hope I get to see it. Yes, Um, I hope you do. I hope you do. (laughs) (laughs) If you also have one piece of advice for up-and-coming artists, right, what would it be and then why would you give that advice? I would say stay true to to what whatever vision or whatever inspires you, um, uh, uh, whatever you want to try to communicate with your work. I think that that's really important. I think it's important not to be not to be too influenced by what other people are doing, to, to try to develop some sort of um, singular vision of your own and stick with that. Yeah. I know sometimes as creatives, we also beat ourselves up and say, um, it's too late to start. Or even if we do start, we struggle with the idea that we haven't done enough. Based on your own personal experience, again, advising someone who's in their 20s, 30s, what would you say to them? First of all, tell us your age first. Uh, If I tell you, you'll be shocked. (laughs) I'm actually, I'm 64. Wow, wow. You don't look 64. (laughs) Thank you. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. For for a long time, um, there was a joke uh, on my birthday when people used to ask, uh, I joke and say I was 37 and... (laughs) And sometimes people believed it. <laughs> yeah, I, I would say I was thinking 44, but. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, but no, I think my advice would be that um, you are pursuing a, a, a profession that, well, not that it doesn't inspire you, but or a job that you don't enjoy. Um, I would say that, uh, and, and you, have, you have a strong feeling that you want to do something else. Or, or some some talent or skill that you have, I think I think it is it is um, it is never too late to um, explore that, and I think this is what happened with me. I think that um, deep down, I always felt that I knew that I I could draw and I could paint, um, but I never really went for it until my son presented me with that canvas and. Since then, it's kind of opened up um, 
so many doors, uh, which has, has taken us all by surprise. Wow. Um, it's, uh, <laughs> so I, I think anything is possible. God bless him wherever he is. <laughs> <laughs> yes, absolutely. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So if you could restart your life, right, what would you do differently? Well, that was interesting. It's an interesting question. I, I did actually ask my son that, and and um, I, I said, "Well, I would have I would have been an artist at a much earlier age." And he said, "Well, you know, perhaps the timing would not have been right. You, you know, you could have been an artist earlier on, but you know, it yeah, may not and have, struggled with it, yeah, and, str- and struggled with it, and so on. You know, maybe you know, he said, maybe it's for a reason that um, you're doing it now." Um, so, so yeah, I, I, I don't know. I mean, there, there are other things that I, I like as well, like writing. Um, and um, maybe if I have time, I will turn my hand to that as well. <laughs> <laughs> nice, nice. So what do you write about? Well, no, no, it's just that I had ideas for um, writing some books. Uh, and um, they're mainly co- sort of um, historical. Uh, I have a strong interest in history. And so I may at some point, you know, start scribbling away. <laughs> mm. Maybe like your son, I would also push you to that challenge. <laughs> oh. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> yeah. So what's one thing you're trying to do that you haven't been able to do yet? Or in general? In general. I think that with, um, with, with art, I, there are, there's some paintings that I sort of have in mind, which, would be very nice to have the opportunity to, to do, um, which would be quite, quite large sort of narrative paintings. But in life in general, um, I think I would just like to travel a lot more and um, uh, see a, a, a lot more places um, yeah. than I have. I think that that is the main thing I would say. I mean, I've done quite a lot of traveling, but not as much as I would like to. (laughs) Okay. Okay. Do you have any particular places in mind? Top of your head? Yes. Um, uh, South America uh, and uh, also the the Far East. um, I I would love to go to um, Japan is on my list. Um, And um, that makes two of us. (laughs) Good. Yeah, definitely. Um, and in fact, I, I have a friend who lives um, close to Honduras. Um, he's a university friend. And um, he, um, he keeps saying that um, my wife and I should come and visit. Um, and so we, we're thinking of going next year in February. Um, and then, you know, spend some time in uh, Guatemala, then go and see him. On the, he's on an island off the coast of Honduras. And then on the way back, it would be good to go to Cuba, another place that I haven't been to as well. Amazing. So, yeah. <laughs> You've got good taste, Arthur. You've got good taste. Thank you. <laughs> You've got good travel taste. <laughs> Very nice. Very Thank nice. You. So um, at this point, remember I was asking for personal stories that we can share, that you haven't shared yes. anywhere. That would make this podcast episode very memorable. So if you've got any of those floors open, you can share. And then, yeah, we'll take it from there. Sure. Um, 
I have one, which is um, when when I was a little boy and um, we had just come over to England, my father's house was uh, in Bayswater, um, very very close to Hyde Park, literally across the road. And um, I did a painting on a piece of board and it was a, a painting of a landscape. Um, and every Sunday along um, Bayswater Road by Hyde Park, artists used to pin up their paintings along the railings. Yeah. And people, you know, from, it extended, I think, from uh, almost from Marble Arch along to Queensway, going on to, I think, almost to Notting Hill Gate. And people would just go for a stroll on Sundays and look at these pictures. So I, I felt a lot of these pictures were very kind of commercial and um, uh, some, some were good, some were not so good. And I thought, well, I, I could do this. So I did this le- landscape painting and um, my father had some guests. So I, I sneaked out with my painting and I went and stood. There was a gap between these artists on a railing. So I, all, all of these guys had their paintings fixed to the railings, but I okay. stood there as a nine-year-old boy holding my painting in front of me <laughs> like this uh, with a small sign saying for sale and um, I, I had a, a lot of interest I mean a lot of people I think people were just amused actually to see this little boy there yeah. trying to sell his painting amongst all these grown-ups <laughs> what year was this uh, this this was in um, this was 66 um, yeah wow <laughs> <laughs> very bold um, yeah, it was bold. I mean, I didn't sell the painting, but um, I, I was pleased that I tried. Yeah. Well, you made an offer at least. Uh, yeah, someone, I think they were just joking, but, um, you know, uh, I, I, I I had this vision of, of getting extra pocket money and this was a way to do it. Um, yeah. Did your dad ever find out? Yes, he did. He did. <laughs> I, I, because, <laughs> yeah, when I went back, he said, where have you been? And I told him and he just laughed. <laughs> Wow. <laughs> uh, that's, that's, that's interesting. One of the questions I like to ask my guests these days is that, in your own words, what would you say love is? I think love is looking out for other people in the best um, sense of the word, because I think that if you are someone who's, who's a loving person, then um, you put others before yourself. Um, and they're some incredible examples of people who who do that. Yeah. This has been amazing. Thank you so much for your time. I hope you enjoyed the conversation. Thank you, Jude. I've I've really enjoyed it. And um, (laughs) you've asked, you've put me on the spot many times. (laughs) Yes, yes, yes. (laughs) You've done a great job. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. Where can our listeners find you online? Online, my website is www dot arthur timothy.com and my instagram is arthur b timothy okay okay wonderful